Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this morning, for each one who's here. Lord, I thank you that uh, you are a good, good Father, and I pray that we know you, and uh, we know you better this year than last. We ask that you will give us wisdom as we look into your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. You may be seated, unless you feel like standing for the whole sermon. You can do that if you like. I will. So... If you want to do that, I hope you're enjoying your uh, New Year's. Happy New Year's. Thank you for braving the cold and coming out this morning. We really certainly appreciate you doing that. I'm sure we're all happy that we decided to have church inside this morning. It's a good idea. And so we're going to go ahead with that. But speaking of New Year's, we've heard already people talk about resolutions. And uh, I just want to show of hands how many people made resolutions this year. Just you can be honest, it's okay. I'm not going to ask who's still keeping them, right? So a few of us are, are putting out res- resolutions. Uh, I know that um, usually by March, most of those are kind of gone by the wayside and we've forgotten all about them. Uh, and that's kind of just the way human nature is, and, and yet every year we try to start again. Uh, and I was talking to someone just a couple of weeks ago about um, what I tend to do in the evening is snack too much. Um, I was, my, that's my problem, that's not really my only problem, but when it comes to dietary, that's one of my problems. Uh, and at night I get comfortable, the work's done for the day, and I like to sit down for a little bit, and then I feel like I need something sweet. And then I eat that, and I think, you know, something salty would be good. And then back to something sweet. And then, you know, ingredients that go into chocolate chip cookies seem to be fine for a while, and I just get a little bit carried away at times. Um, and I got a, a text from, uh, I was tell, talking uh, with a lady, actually, let's call her, you know, just, we'll just refer to her as Mrs., uh, Mrs. Bailey. No, that's too obvious. Let's call her, <laughs> let's call her Bonnie B. Let's do that. Um, but I got a text from her uh, just one night, and I want, you to, I want you to know what it is, and I, I don't, just in case you don't believe, Jane, can you, re- you have your glasses on, can you? Here's her text that she sent me, right here. What does that say with the smiley face on it? I hope you are not snacking, smiley. <laughs> Can you believe that? I hope, well, it's a good thing she's anonymous today, right? I hope you are not snacking. Oh, and look what I wrote back. Look at this, look at this. What does that say? Get off my case. Get off my case. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's what I did. We, uh, we don't like to, to be... Reminded of the things that uh, we even we're, we're free to tell people, but sometimes we have a, a hard time being reminded of those kinds of things when it comes to the promises that we make to ourselves. Really, that's what resolutions are, aren't they? They're just promises that we make to ourselves. I'm I'm going to do this, or I'm going to stop doing that, whatever it might be. We make these promises, and I thought it would be good this beginning of a year to look at a little bit something different, not our promises that we make to ourselves but promises that God has made to us. Those of us who are his followers, those of us who said we believe in Jesus, we know that he's God's son and we've accepted his gift of forgiveness and salvation and we're following God. Well, God gives his followers some promises. And it's important for us to to know them. We have a tendency in our culture for uh, decades now, in generations, that we have a tendency to lead in our lives. We lead with emotion. What do we feel? 
What does our heart tell us? We kind of respond and live our life according to that. And people tell us to do that too, right? You know, follow your heart, follow your, follow your emotions, kind of decide what you tend to do. And I think we need a little bit something more concrete than that. We need to make our decisions on more concrete things than just our, just our emotions. And I think when we look at some of these promises, there is going to be a tendency for us to turn them to our own advantage, to twist some of the things that, that we see as a promise and say, I can make that fit in my life. Whereas we need to understand really why God gave us the promise and what the promise really means. So we're going to look at those kinds of things this morning. And we need to be careful that we don't twist those. I was just I had a conversation just this, uh, before Christmas, uh, just in our office. I'm not going to tell you. They'll be truly anonymous. We just had general conversation. We have some great conversations. Talked about food, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it turned around. It's like, are you calling me fat, someone said. And I went, well, I didn't know we were even talking about that. But we just kind of twist things around and make them uh, say that we, things that we want people to say. We just make, have a tendency to do that. And sometimes we can do that with the promises of God. And so we're going to be, try to be very careful this morning as we look at these promises of God that we don't twist them. So if you have a Bible uh, with you, uh, find the first book of the New Testament. It's Old Testament and then New Testament. The last chapter of the first book, Matthew is the, la- is the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 28 is what we're going to see for the first promise that I wanted to look at this morning. And this is the promise of God's presence. The promise of God's presence. Matthew is the eyewitness account of what he's talking about right here in Matthew chapter 28. In the verses that are going to be up on the screen as well, in in verse 20 we're going to look at. But this is near the end of Jesus' public ministry, and he's going to go back to the Father. And as he does, he gives his instruction to his followers. These are instructions to Jesus' followers that Jesus gives. Matthew is an eyewitness account, and he's writing it down. And he says, go, and Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 20, what you see up on the screen, verse 20 says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Absolutely, surely, without doubt, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't have that promise of somebody else's presence from anybody else. But God himself, to his followers, says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. There's, uh, in Psalm 139, it says that there's nowhere that we can go away from God's presence. But in a different way, a different sense of God's presence, those who are his followers have the promise of his immediate presence with them. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you. He doesn't qualify it by, as long as you are well-behaved, I will be with you. As long as you do as I ask. He says, I will be with you. He's commissioning them to go and do things. And he says, remember, as you go and do the things that I've instructed you to do, I'm going to be with you. I'm not asking you to do it on your own. I will be with you. That's an amazing thing that God has promised. An amazing thing, his presence to those who are his followers. We don't have that promise from, from anyone else. Always is a long time. It's something that God says we are never going to be away from the presence of God. And we need to rest in that. We need to realize that we have God with us every single day of the year. The next thing I thought we could look at is in Philippians. Find Philippians. It's a little bit to the right in your New Testament and a bunch of letters that Paul wrote wrote 
to a whole bunch of different churches and he, the letters are called by the cities that he sent them to. So the church in the city of Philippi is what we call the book of Philippians. So in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, we're going to see the next promise and that's the promise of God's provision. You need to have a little bit of context with this. Paul is writing uh, to, to people from another church, another area who has supported him financially. And he said, I know what it's like in my life. I've been supported. I've some been in my life where I've been very comfortable. Times in my life where I've had to do without. And I've learned to be content in all those times. But thank you for the support that you've been giving me. Thank you for supplying my need. And then in verse 19, he says, And my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all all your need. I used to think that meant as long as I say I need it. I remember as a child thinking as long as I say that I need something, it was a bicycle at the time, if I say I need a bicycle, then God is now obligated to give me a bicycle because I say that I need one. That's a, an example of how we can twist some things when we see it in God's word. We can sort of twist them to our advantage. But Paul has just said, I know what it's like to have things and to be comfortable. But he also says, I know what it's like to go without and to be hungry. And he says, I know what it's like to go through a shipwreck and I know what it's like to go through beating. And so, and yet he says, I know that my God will supply all your need. So the promise of God's provision is very real. And it's as good as what it's backed by. It's backed by not just the promise of God, but the riches of God as well. It says, according to his riches. He has the ability, he has the resources to supply all our need. And it's not necessarily the needs that we perceive, but God says to his people, to his followers, I know that my God will supply all your need. And so I've tried to come to the realization that if God hasn't supplied it, I can surmise by this passage that I don't need it. Now, I might really want it. In fact, I might feel like I need it. I sometimes even feel like I deserve it. Do you feel, you don't say those words, right? But sometimes you feel like I'm doing this for God, or I'm doing that for God, or I'm being this, or I've, I've committed whatever, and God is sort of, we feel like God should. God is obligated. God must do something for me. But he says God will supply all my need. That's what he says as a promise to us. Needs are not perceived needs. Needs are the needs that God says are needs. And that promise comes from the backing of the riches of God himself. The next one I wanted to look at is still in Philippians. It's a, a few verses up in verses 6 and 7 we can look at. And it's the promise of God's peace. This season is a difficult one for many people to get through. Not just weather. We talk about the weather and how cold it is. But this is a difficult season even emotionally for people to get through. It's a difficult time of year. And it's a time where we feel as though uh, the peace that we sometimes experience in our life throughout the year that we're not experiencing right now. And yet we have a promise to the followers of God of his peace. Philippians in verse uh, 6 and 7, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. Don't, be, don't worry about anything. But in everything, by your prayers and your requests, 
with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And then verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there is a promise of peace that is available to us. And it's a peace that doesn't make sense. There are times when we understand why there is a peace. You go up to a cottage or you go to a lake or you go out on a boat, you find some isolated place and where everything seems to be just fine and you're able to sit down and maybe observe what's going on around you and just relax and that feels peaceful. But it seems to make sense because you're in a peaceful setting, there's no difficulty that's happening at the moment and it's easy to relax. But this, and so that kind of peace makes sense but the peace that is promised by God is a peace that doesn't always make sense. Think of the disciples when they were in the boat with Jesus in this great big storm. The storm came up and the disciples, uh, some of whom were fishermen, seasoned fishermen, they were panicked. They thought they were going to lose their lives. And Jesus had an uh, inexplicable peace at the time. So much so that he was having a nap during the storm. That's kind of the, that, the peace that doesn't make sense. And I don't know if you've experienced those kinds of situations in your life. I've had one that has come to mind just in this past week. Uh, I was going to seminary down in the States. I'm from Ontario. And one time I brought another student back. She was from Nova Scotia. And I brought her back to see, visit some friends of hers in Toronto while I went to uh, my parents' place. And then on the way back, I think it was after a Christmas break, I picked her up and we went to go through the border. And at the border, you just present your, uh, your student visa and, and they just sort of pass you through to make sure you go, well, this person that we uh, came across didn't like the documentation that we had brought with us. Now, it's the same documentation that got, us, got me past the border and she was, uh, had traveled down to that school for a few years as well. And I didn't expect any difficulty but they had us pull over. And when you get pulled over at the border, it's not always, Jim Train knows what that's like, don't you? You've had it, Jim's been pulled over. <laughs> I just thought of that. That wasn't part of my notes. <laughs> um, but we've, uh, you know, if you've been pulled over, you just, you get a little bit uneasy. Uh, the, the peace that you may have had going up to the booth has disappeared. And we got uh, pulled in, we got put into separate rooms, which made me feel a little more uneasy. Uh, any piece that was so I thought and then the lady a lady came in to uh, ask me a few questions and the questions seemed to be leading down a pathway that she was some making some sort of accusation that I was illegally transporting someone to work uh, into the in the United States that wasn't supposed to be wasn't allowed to work in the States and it made no sense to me at all right and she started saying well you know we can we can um, take away your car, we can uh, put, incarcerate you. And I said, wait, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> I haven't done anything. And, they, and, she, and she, so, so she left the room. When they leave the room after making those kinds of statements, you feel like your peace level has decreased a little bit. And I had nothing to do at the time other than pray, and so I did. And I was praying to the Lord, saying, Lord, I, don't, I know that I haven't done anything wrong, but I, I just pray that you will take over in this situation. And as I was praying, strangely enough, honestly, I fell asleep. <laughs> and so sometime later, I don't know when it was, the, this uh, a person came back, and I think it was the same person. The person came in and had to wake me up. 
<laughs> so it wasn't, she didn't, she, I think she was sort of confused, like she's expecting people to be fairly nervous, not napping while they're waiting for the next set of questions. And so she started, she went through the same situation again and said, you know, if you're illegally doing this, um, then we can do this and we can do that and you can be in a lot of trouble. And I interrupted her and I said, wait a minute, you mean if it's true, if I did it, if it's true, then I can't. Then, I, then I'm in, I could be in trouble. She says, yes. I said, you mean, if it's true, I could be in trouble. She said, yes. I said, oh, okay. And I just relaxed. And a few minutes later, we were free to go. It was the strangest thing. But the peace that didn't make any sense at the time, I experienced. And that's what we can have as a promise of God. If we are committed to following God, then he says that he gives his peace to us. Even in times where it would, would make no sense to be at peace, we can have his peace. In Isaiah 26, I'll have it up on the screen there, the same, I, there's a, an understanding that we need to have. This is not a, a, an, a con, an unconditional sort of promise. I mean, it's a promise that we can sort of twist and say, I thought my whole life would be peaceful, and yet I'm not experiencing peace. Well, the peace is available but it's for his followers, and it's for those who are in a certain situation. In the sense of Isaiah 26, it says that the steadfast of mind, those people who are steadfast of mind, you, God, will keep them in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So those who are strong in their mind are equated with those at the end of the verse, those who trust in God. If we trust in God, that gives us the strength in our mind so that we can experience God's peace. It's an amazing promise that he gives us, and yet we sometimes forget about it. We sometimes forget the promise that's there, and we try to live our life in such a way that we are somehow divorced from God when really his promises are there for us. So as we follow him, I pray that we can understand the promises that he has for us, peace that's beyond all comprehension, peace that guards our hearts and our minds. Most of us have experienced times in our life or experienced times in our, in our life regularly where we have a battle with our mind and our mind is unsettled and we don't know what to think and our heart becomes unsettled as well and we, we can get pulled down an emotional or a difficult pathway and God says, you know, the answer is Steadfast mind, trust in God, and peace that doesn't make any sense. That's our promise that we have. Steadfast mind, a strong mind, and trust in God are linked so closely in that passage. Now we need to know the next promise that we come from God, a promise of God's power. Who would not like to have, uh, this is rhetorical, and actually, I had a dream about this point of the sermon. I never dream about sermons, but like on Tuesday, I had a dream. I was going to make this point. I was going to ask this rhetorical question, and people took it as a legitimate question, and they started talking together about what the question I was answering. Uh, I was asking, and, they, and people started getting a little bit animated, and they started to argue a little bit, and I thought, hey, everybody, this is just a rhetorical question. So as I ask it, just settle down, <laughs> okay, because I've seen how badly this can go. But who wouldn't like to have God's power, right? Who wouldn't want to have a power from God that's, that's promised? And here's the promise. It says that we have God's power in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. 
This is a promise to those who are at the very early, this is just before the early church began. And the disciples, the followers of Jesus are being promised this, are being told this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But he starts off that whole thing. He says, well, these are the amazing things that you're going to do, but don't worry, I'm the one that's going to give you the power. You're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. There are those who could want to find situations where they could twist this and say, I've been promised God's power, and therefore I can choose to do anything that I want to do. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that for the task assigned by God, he is going to his promise to give you the power that you need. Here's a big task, to go into all the world, to tell and declare this gospel, this good news that Jesus Christ loves and died for and wants to forgive anyone who would choose to receive that gift of forgiveness. That message is going to be taken not just locally but not, and not just regionally but in a worldwide way. And God said, I not, not only am I giving you the assignment but I'm giving you the power to do it. So whatever it is God has asked you to do, whatever assignment he's given to you, he's promised his power to accomplish it. He's not saying, go and do this. I don't think you're, you're going to be able to, but, you know, give it a try, right? He's not going to say, I don't think you're up to the task. He's going to say, here's the task that I want you to perform. Here's the thing that I want you to do, and I'm going to give you the power that you need. That's God's promise, to accomplish what he wants us to do. And yet we can twist it around to say, now, since I have power, then, and how many people haven't, another rhetorical question on this point, I, sh I should be shying away from that. You know, but we have an idea where we would love to have power and influence. When, say, the government doesn't do what we want to do, we would say if we were in charge, right? Or if our boss makes a decision that we don't like, we would say, well, if I was the boss, if I had the power, or if certain things happen, if I had the ability to do something. And we're sort of absolving ourselves of any responsibility by saying that, right? So we're saying, since I don't have any ability, then all I'm going to do is criticize. But God says, it's not about the things that you want. It's about the tasks that I want you to perform. The things that I want you to do, you will have my power to accomplish. Power comes from the Holy Spirit. Power to, it says specifically here, power to do what? Power to be my witnesses. Power to be my witnesses. Not to accomplish something that you want. He says, I'm going to give you the power to be my witnesses in all this, these spaces. Amazing promise that God has given to us. And then we should see in Ephesians the promise of God's pardon, forgiveness. We have a promise of that. Andy was talking about earlier how we were created to be in Christ. That idea is repeated by Paul when he writes a number of his different letters. The, what he means by in Christ is we've accepted the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that's been accomplished by his sacrifice. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what we were created for. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, what he's accomplished, through his sacrifice, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The verse that I, uh, when I, the version that I memorized as a child, it says uh, the forgiveness of sins. This version says the forgiveness of 
our trespasses according to his riches, the riches of his grace. It makes an assumption that we all have trespasses. And I thought, since we have a little bit of time this morning, maybe we could just pass around a microphone and just let's all list our trespasses and sins. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be like, um, it would be fun when the microphone was over on this side, right? That would be kind of interesting to hear all these bad people over here, right? But when the microphone sort of got, it would be nice if we started over here so we'd forget all this. So when it got over there, we could really pay attention to what they were, all the bad things they were doing, right? We, we know that we all have trespasses. We've, we have sins. We fall short. We don't measure up to the mark of God's standard, which is holiness. But you know what God provides for us? For those who are his followers, Forgiveness. Some people take that for granted as well. They think that that's a, a, just a blank slate. I, am, I can do anything that I want to do without uh, any concern for uh, ramifications because God just says he's going to forgive me. So when I sometimes go to, like, say, fast food places and I, I, I pray and I thank the Lord for the food, I sometimes feel like I should be asking forgiveness for what I'm putting into the temple, right? <laughs> but I still am thankful because it tastes good, right? But we have a tendency, that's just a tiny little thing, but sometimes we have a tendency to think I can act any way that I want and live any way that I want because because God says he's going to forgive me. As though there will be no consequences. As though no one will be injured in the decisions and choices that I make. But in all of our trespasses, we do have this promise of pardon, promise of forgiveness. I wonder if we forget that. Because sometimes we twist it on the other side and we forget that we've been forgiven. And we walk around as followers of God, been forgiven by Jesus Christ himself, and we walk around as though we're guilty. Like we've nullified his sacrifice. It's almost as though we're saying, God forgave me, but that's really not enough. We're almost accusing Jesus of not doing enough for us so that our sins really are, our trespasses really are forgiven. Do we trust him? Are we really forgiven? If we are, we should live like it. We should live free from the guilt of the sin that's been forgiven. It's difficult for us because we have a hard time forgiving others. Someone might do something wrong to you. And they might even come and ask for forgiveness. And on a good day, you will verbally forgive them. But you will keep that in in the back of your mind in the days to come. We have a tendency to sort of keep that as a little trump card in case I might need to pull that out a little bit later in some situation. Is that true forgiveness? It's not. But if that's the way we forgive, it's no wonder that we don't understand how Jesus forgives. When he forgives, he removes the guilt. The guilt is no longer there. In fact, when Paul writes to some of these different churches, he writes to those who are trespassers, who are sinners, who do things that don't measure up to God's holiness. And yet he addresses them so many times as saints. When your uh, kids in your neighborhood are on your lawn and they're doing something that they're not supposed to do or they're, they're throwing things and they're, they break your window or whatever, you come outside and say, hey, you little saints, just got a little request for you. <laughs> we don't have a tendency to address people that way. 
even other followers of Jesus Christ, those who we know have been forgiven, we tend to hold them at a distance at times. We tend to think, well, I know that they're part of God's family, but they're not, you know, it's like Christmas, right? We've got parts of our family that we want to be with and parts of our family that just have been assigned to us. <laughs> and sometimes we live that way in the Christian life as well, right? You know, God forgave them, and that's great because I get along with them, but, you know, unfortunately, he forgave them as well, so I guess they're part of the family, right? But that's, we have to understand that we need to forgive the way God forgives. We need to also understand how God has forgiven us, and in the very same way, we are supposed to forgive others. Next, we have the promise of God's protection. Paul writes to a younger man who is in ministry at a fairly major church in the, new, in, the, in the beginning of the church age. And he's writing to him to try to be an encouragement to him, to help him along. And he talks about this protection. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Now, we, some people might want to t twist this to be a blanket promise of God's protection so that we can live as recklessly as we like and claim that God is obligated to protect me. Like I can take any silly and uh, ill-advised risk that I might and God will protect me. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, God doesn't always protect me from my ill-advised choices. When I still think that I'm in, you know, when you're young, I was young and active, and when I was a kid, I used to think I was invincible. And then I got into my 20s and 30s, and I still thought I was pretty invincible. And still, some days, I feel good, and I feel like I'm 30 still. So I still feel like I'm invincible, and I'll go and do something that I ought not do. There were, I was, I don't know if I told you this story before, but just in the, when we were in Truro, Nova Scotia, before we moved here, uh, that summer, uh, my son and I decided to go to the skate park. And, you know, it sounds like fun, right? So, okay, let's go to the skate park. We'd been there before, and we took our, our mountain bikes. We'd go up and down the ramps and do a few jumps and try some fun stuff, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But every time I would go, I'd try something new, right? Which is, so you start thinking, oh, I'm getting good at this. I'm doing some fun stuff. And there's nobody around to look, and so I decided I'd try something else. I'm going down what they call Dream Big. That's the ramp. You go down the, the ramp called Dream Big, and then you go over this other ramp. Well, I was on a different bicycle because mine had a flat tire, so I borrowed my nephew's. It was kind of spring-loaded, and I didn't realize it was much more springy. So I was up fairly high when I realized uh, I'm in a situation that I don't want to be in. Um, the wheels did not land first. My back and head landed first, and I hit my heel. I thought I had broken most things. <laughs> And this little eight-year-old kid who was also at the skate park said, Hey, mister, are you okay? <laughs> and my, my elbow was aching. I looked, and my, I've got blood flowing from my elbow. And, of course, I hit, landed on my head, and I, didn't, I was confused and dazed more than a normal day. <laughs> and and it, was, it was a difficult time. So, and, you know, you don't always think straight in those situations. So I got up and brushed myself off, and I thought, okay, we got to bike back home. So the hospital was like a kilometer away. Home was 10 kilometers in the other direction. So I biked, Owen and I biked back home, and I jumped in the shower, because you don't want to go to the hospital all dirty. <laughs> jumped in the shower, and you know, half my shower is red. <laughs> 
and I'm getting all cleaned up a little bit and I go off to, and I can't, and uh, the pain's starting to settle in. So I can't put pressure down on my heel on the one side and my, my elbow is really, really starting to hurt and I'm not sure if I've broken a few things and I'm wondering about a concussion, all of those things. And I get into the car, I go to the hospital and I'm fairly careful with my money. So my wife was working at the hospital at the time, so I had her parking pass. So I, par I parked in the employee's parking area, which is the farthest away from the hospital. So I remember like limp going like this to the hospital, still bleeding and stuff. And I, I got into the hospital and I realized I'm not going to make it to the other side, which is, so the emergency room is on the far side of the hospital. So I finally made it inside and I looked around and I saw there was a wheelchair there. I thought, oh, that's perfect. So I wheeled myself all the way down and they took one look at me. I got into the triage part and they took one look at me. Told, I told them my story and I could see there was a little bit of uh, judgment there. <laughs> yes, I told her what I did and then she immediately asked my age and had a little frown on her face. But uh, I was taken right in. I got, I got past. I didn't have any weight at all. I was right into x-rays and I saw the doctor because, you know, we, uh, it turned out I had a few stitches and um, I recovered slowly. But my point is, some people would say, well, how come God didn't protect me? We have the promise of his protection. How come, how come I couldn't do just jump, some crazy jump off Dream Big? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't God protect me? Because we tend to twist God's promises if we actually, I wasn't thinking God will protect me, I was thinking this will be fun, and I'm invincible. <laughs> um, but there are sometimes we'll think, I'm going to go and do anything that I want, and God is obligated to protect me. I can take any risk that I want. I can make even risky and bad behavior and say that God will not only forgive me, but he will protect me and nothing bad will happen. That's not what the promise means. Let's not twist God's word into making it say something that he didn't intend for it to say. It's not a blanket promise. If we go outside of God's will, if we try to contravene the laws of nature that God has instituted, like gravity and things like that, and aging, <laughs> if we try to go against those kinds of ideas, God, it's not, this doesn't blanket promise us those things. However, I have noticed sometimes God in his mercy will even protect us in those situations. But we can live our life understanding that we have promises from God. And they are not conditional in the sense of uh, wondering whether or not God is able to fulfill. God is able to fulfill his promises. And he's willing to and he wants to. He doesn't grudgingly do it. He doesn't grudgingly give. He's a God of grace. And when we can live in light of the promises that God gives us, then the other promises that we sometimes make to ourselves kind of fall a little bit by the wayside. Maybe I should follow what God wants to do, God wants me to do, because I know he's going to protect me. He's going to guide me. He's going to empower me to accomplish all that he wants me to do. Maybe that's the way we should be going to live our life. If we want God's promises, then we live God's way. I want you to think about this idea of a promise. How good is a promise? I would say a promise is only as good as the person who's making it. A promise is really only as good as the person who makes it. A person's character is revealed not by the promises they make, but by the promises they keep. 
God is willing and able to fulfill and keep his promises that he makes to his followers. Let's live this year in light of the promises that God has given us. Let's follow him and live boldly the way he wants us to live, resting in the fact that the character of God will be revealed in how he keeps his promises to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the realizations that we have as we look into your word, your message to us. We are so grateful that we have a message that you've given to us. We thank you for that. But Lord, as we look into it, I pray that you will help us to cling to the promises that you've given to us. Help us to hold on to them. Give us the power and strength to follow you. And Lord, we know that we can rely on you for your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.